Welcome to the Concord Online Podcast. Each week, we're going to be bringing you sermons from Concord to be a resource for you to live on mission with us to inspire people to follow Jesus. Grab your Bible. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We are in a series of sermons that we've been refocusing our hearts on the mission and the vision of our church. Um, Man, I got a text earlier today in the family that you saw there on the screen, the testimony video of what God has done at LifeBridge and Loudon and that family. I got a text from the pastor this morning and said, hey man, we're baptizing her daughter today. So how cool is that? That man, God has continued to work in their way. I'm so thankful, uh, church, that you wanna be a church building the kingdom of God, not our kingdom. And so, man, that effort there in Loudon, God's using in tremendous ways. That effort that you, uh, man, are helping us step into in the Westview community with Belmont Heights. Man, God's using that in incredible ways. That at every one of our congregations today, we're seeing people be baptized, going public with their faith in Christ. And man, that's just cool to be a part of movement of the kingdom of God in our city. And we're praying about how God's leading us to Jeff City. I know a lot of you watching online have been reaching out saying, hey, we live in Jeff City. We live close to Jefferson City. You know, you guys reach out and we're gonna get you connected and uh, watch what God will do there in the coming days. And so, you know, we just wanna take these few weeks and recenter ourselves on this mission because like in anything, we can drift. And, and in church life, when you drift, you don't drift towards reaching more people. You drift internally to focus on yourself. And so it's a constant reminder that I'm not a reservoir to receive the gospel. I'm a conduit through which the gospel runs through me to other people, right? Like God wants... God's gonna reach you and God's gonna minister to you, but he's gonna, through you, inspire others to follow him as well. And so we're this conduit of the gospel, not a reservoir to keep it, right? We're not, you know, we're not just trying to, to pile up Jesus. We're trying to, man, see Jesus be, be multiplied and his influence all throughout our city. And so a couple weeks ago, we talked about these inspire cards. Uh, I hope you still have your inspire card. I hope you're praying over these. I hope you're, man, kind of walking this path that we laid out before us and I know on my card, I had some movement this week and one of the guys on my list and I was like, come on, Lord, like do it, Lord, you know? And so it's just fun to see when people you're praying for start take the steps towards the gospel, right? Towards Jesus. And, and so, man, that's happening in my life. How many of you say, Pastor, I got my Inspire card. I'm praying through it or whatever. You just kind of raise your hand and say, man, that, that's me today. I got my Inspire card. All right, so if you don't have an Inspire card, man, they're scattered out around. Like get one, it'll lead you through what to do. And this is your way of joining us on this mission of inspiring people to follow Jesus. And so here, let's do this this morning. Let's, let's pray for the names on our Inspire cards and ask God just to continue to draw those folks to himself. Well, let's pray together. Father, we pray right now for names that are written on Inspire cards all throughout our church, um, that Father, you, you would draw these brothers and sisters to you. You draw these folks to you and they would repent of their sins and put their faith in Christ. And Lord, I pray for those that are sitting in this room today, they're kind of on the sidelines of this, like what does that even mean? Lord, I pray that you would call them into the mission, that God, you would um, just inspire them to inspire others to follow you, and that through our efforts together, we'd reach 1% of Erie Code 865 by the year 2030. Uh, Lord, we, we know that we're gonna have to do that together. It's not a church or a program or a preacher even, but God, it's the body of Christ on the mission that you have sent us on. And, and so Lord, I pray for every name written on a card. I pray for every card in a pocket. Uh, God, I pray for everyone that needs to go get their card, that we would be people who are inspiring others to follow Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, if we 
really wanna take serious this mission that we're on of inspiring people to follow Jesus, you know, we, we've gotta do what Jesus told us. And that's what we looked at last week, that we were gonna reach people, teach people, and minister to people. And, and that's the strategy of our church. And so we called you, man, so many, like hundreds of you went out there last week and signed up for Bible study groups. Like we reach, teach, and minister through our Bible study groups. If we're gonna reach 1%, it's gonna be through our Bible study groups that, man, these mission teams, that's really what I see. And we ought to call them Bible study group mission teams. But I guess that gets too long, you know? But like, like you know, we're gonna, we're gonna send you out through these groups so that we can be together ministering and reaching people, teaching people, and ministering to people. Well, well, today I want to really take a few moments and, and dive deep in, in, into an understanding that there's a lot of or an issue, I guess you'd say, there's a lot of confusion in the church because if we're going to inspire people to follow Jesus, we're going to have to be on the same page about a few things. We're going to have to have this common foundation. I told you last week that I really believe spiritual formation is, is one of the greatest challenges facing our church and and you know, we, we've made Christianity to be this self-help philosophy rather than a biblical theology. And so we, we know just enough about Jesus and just enough about the gospel to get some fire insurance, but, but we don't really have this foundation. If, if we're gonna be salt and light, and that, that's what it means to inspire people to follow Jesus, that means we're gonna go into our community and, and be on mission for Christ. Like We have to have a firm foundation to minister from, a firm foundation to live from. And, and, and for many of us, one of the initial steps of obedience outlined in the New Testament, we struggle with, which gives us a faulty foundation to try and minister from. We're talking about baptism. You see, many different ideas are out there about baptism. People think, all right, well, that's something that happens when you're young. People think, all right, that's what happens, you know, to join the church. Or people think, well, that's what happens when you become a follower of Christ. Or some of you, if you grow up in the church, like that's what happens every time I go to summer camp. You know, it's like, like we see there's all these things that, that kind of become markers for baptism. And if we're not careful, we'll just see baptism as a vehicle for membership, which it is, but that's not what all it is. Or we'll just see baptism as something we do to get our parents off our back. Or baptism is the rite of passage for a child. Or like we'll, we'll relegate baptism to just something you do in a religious experience. But there's so much more to what happens at baptism. Now, the baptism that we believe at our church is what we call believer's baptism. All right, so so. It's baptism that takes place after a person comes to faith in Christ. All right, so baptism doesn't save you, but baptism is a symbol of what Christ does in you at the moment of salvation. And so, you know, baptism, it's, it's, a, it's a transliterated word. It's not even a translated word. Like, we don't really have a word for this translated into English, but it literally means to dip under. All right, so that's what the word literally means, transliterate. Like, like to baptize is to dip under. That's why we baptize by immersion because it best symbolizes the death and life of Christ and it fulfills the word to dip under. And so, you know, when you think about baptism, some people get so anxious about all these things, right? They think, well, what's in the water? Um, this water was placed in this baptistry from a water hose at about eight o'clock this morning. All right. There's a little button on the side over here that when I push it, it becomes a hot tub. Y'all hear that thing? Because who wants to get baptized in cold water when you can get baptized in warm water? See, it's really warm, Nathan. All right, so, oh, sprinkled. Sorry, it's the Baptist church, wrong. All right, so, <laughs> right? Like, guys, like, 
we, we can't make this out to be some like, like really, really awkward thing. Like this is the first step of obedience for a follower of Christ. And we should take it with significance and great clarity. You see, many of us, we have relegated Christianity to, to this moralistic duty where we attend church and we do specific things and we think God is pleased with us. But biblical Christianity has always been obedience-based, meaning Jesus is calling disciples out of being fishermen, tax collectors, and workers, and he's calling them to a new way of living. And the way he's showing them to live, he's like, follow me, follow me. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So he's, he's calling them to obedience. And so the Christian life is not a life of behavior modification, but it's the transformation of your character as you follow Christ by taking obedient step after obedient step after obedient step. Some people want to know all about Christianity the day they come to know Christ. Guess what? You're never gonna know that. There's always gonna be more to God than you understand and you know. But what he does is as you are obedient to what you do understand, he expands what you know. And so this, this unfolding of the beauty and the glory of God. And so it's not that I wait till I understand it all. It's that I start obeying the light that I have. I start living in the truth that I know. And as I live in truth, my understanding of God and his truth expands till I can see the beauty and the glory of God. That's how it's like based in obedience, not in behavior modification. And so when Paul comes here in Romans six, he's like, we're gonna get to the truth. We're gonna get to the truth so that we can really understand what baptism symbolizes and means. Stand with me and let's study it together. Romans chapter six, verse one. Scripture says this, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, or Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. 
Paul is trying to help people understand what's happening in salvation and what baptism symbolizes. I mean, there's a very clear distinction here. He's like, hey, like in Christ, you're a one way. You're not who you used to be. Like there's something that has happened. There's someone who has been changed. There is a distinction. There is a mark. There is a purpose. And so when we see what baptism really is, how it symbolizes what's happening at the moment of salvation, all of a sudden it's not just this thing to do as a rite of passage, or it's not just this thing to do because you're at a Baptist church. It's It's this step of obedience to take to publicly declare what has happened in you at salvation. I was talking with a a lady a few weeks ago and she was like, yeah, you know, well, if I've got to, I'll be baptized. I'm like, like, you you feel like you got, like, what are you talking about? If I got like, it was just this like, well, if this is what the church wants, I'm like, you realize there's like no discount on tithing or anything if you get baptized. Like, like, I don't, like, it's not like, you know, all right, I'll take the credit card to take the 20% off, you know? Like, I felt like I was having this transaction. I'm like, what are we talking about here? Like, no, you're not getting baptized until you understand like why we should want to publicly identify with Christ in this way. And so we can't see this as some transactional thing. Well, all right, if I have to, we should understand what, what baptism is in the New Testament. There's, there's no sense in the New Testament of someone who was following Jesus who had not yet been baptized. And so over and over and over, the testimony of the New Testament is when a person is, is transformed and changed by Jesus, they publicly declare that by being baptized. Why and, and what does this, this mean? Now, before we jump into this text, let me just say a word. Because there's a lot of us, when we come to baptism, we feel this anxiety and we, we don't know what to do with the fact that our parents had us baptized as infants. So, so hear me out. Like, I, I think you should celebrate your parents' decision to have you dedicated and baptized. Like they were trying to say, we're gonna teach them about the Lord. We're gonna try and say we love this child and, and we want this child to be part of the church and grow in the Lord and, and walk in the Lord. But, but what I'm talking to you about today is not a decision someone else can make for you. Like believer's baptism is not something that you can say, well, my parents had me baptized. No, no, no. Like believer's baptism says that I've taken personal responsibility of my sin. I've repented of my sin. I've put my faith in Christ. Like This isn't something anyone else can do for you. And because of that, I'm going to be baptized to publicly declare that I've been changed by Jesus. And so what I'm asking you today is, have you been baptized after your salvation by immersion to show what Jesus has done for you? Well, maybe you say, Pastor, tell me what Jesus has done for me and then I'll make my decision. I'm glad you asked. Here we go. Baptism, it symbolizes death to sin. Look in first seven verses. Baptism, it, it symbolizes death to sin. I mean, he, he starts with a couple questions and a couple charges to his, his audience here. He's like, hey, are we saying that we should continue to sin, that grace may abound? No, no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Like he's showing this contrast to help us understand like when, when we come to know Christ, An old life must die. Like when Christ died on the cross for our sin, that was 
our old life dying. And so when we receive the gift of salvation through Jesus, what we're receiving is life in Christ. And you can't have life in Christ and your old way of living. And so this, the question is like, should I just keep, like, does God care about how I really live? Isn't it just grace? Can I just live under grace? And it doesn't really matter how I live. And, and, and Paul's like, no, no, no. It, it's not like I can live how I want because there's grace and Jesus is gonna forgive me. It's that I've died to my sin and I'm following Jesus and God's grace is what keeps me from walking back enslaved to that sin. Because here's the truth. When you die to your sin, you must die daily to your sin. Because that old man wants to get up off the mat every single morning. Like it's not this thing of like, well, I prayed that prayer. No, no, no. It's that every day we must die to ourselves if we really, really want the Holy Spirit to take control of us. And so as we walk with the Lord, it's this constant nailing, closing, turning from the past. That's why the enemy wants to use guilt to throw in your mind like, man, you're never gonna get it. Because all he has is insults. All he has is lies. He's the father of lies. And he's trying to fool you and trick you into thinking you've gotta go back into that old way of living. He's trying to fool you to think you that this is who you really are. And Jesus has said, you've died to that, man. Baptism says, You're new and you've been changed because you've died to this nature of sin. There's a guy who wrote a paraphrase of the scripture. His name's Eugene Peterson. It's not the scripture, but it's a paraphrase of it. But but he helped clarify what Paul was talking about in verses one and two. Listen to what he said. He said, if we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or did you not realize we packed up and left there for good? You see, like baptism is a public symbol that you're not who you used to be. You've been changed. Like that's what baptism is. Sometimes the enemy and others will label us in a certain way because of our past mistakes. Ever been there? Like some of us, we feel like I'm labeled a divorcee or I'm labeled an adulterer or I'm labeled an addict or I'm labeled a gambler. Like, like I, you feel like I wear all these labels. Listen to me, what, what Paul's trying to help us see here that if you've been transformed and changed by Jesus, baptism symbolizes that you don't wear any of those old labels. You just simply wear the name of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ and his blood that covers you at salvation purchases your freedom from all that other mess. And so man, in Christ, you're not a recovering anything. You're a brand new person. And this is why I go to the tank to be baptized, to declare to the world that I am different, I've been changed, I've been transformed, and I am new all because of Jesus. Why would you hide this from the world? When you really think about it, if they're gonna make up some label for you, won't you let them know the one that's true? Daughter of the king, son of righteousness, son of the one true God. Like, like, why would you not allow them to know what is right? We said, well, I just, I don't know. Last service, it was fun. We baptized children, we baptized senior adults. Just watching people go, you know what? I'm tired of listening to the lies of the enemy who label me a certain way. I'm gonna be baptized to symbolize that I'm not who I used to be. I've been made new. Listen to how Paul wrote it in Romans chapter five. 
In Romans chapter five, verse 18, the scripture says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. Paul's trying to say in Romans five, he said, look, you were one time labeled because of Adam's sin, but you can now be, made, be labeled a new way because of Christ's righteousness. So don't let the enemy trick you in thinking that you're just who you used to be. God's not into the reformation of your character. He's into the transformation of your soul. And when he transforms your soul, man, he makes you new. And this is what baptism symbolizes. And so what we've got to do is like, we got to say, all right, like I'm no longer labeled this way. I'm now identified with Christ. I'm identified with Christ. Listen to Colossians chapter three, verse one. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's the greatest news in all the world. That like if, if I've identified with Christ through repentance and faith, that I'm hidden in God with Christ. There's nothing in my life that Christ does not see. There's nothing in my, in my life that Christ will not forgive. Like Paul's illustration of baptism is like, like you are dying to sin so that you may live to Christ. Second, verses eight through 11, baptism symbolizes life in Christ. Baptism symbolizes life in Christ. So verses one and two, it's like, hey, like you're dead to sin. And then verses three and four, you can, you can kind of work it backwards almost if you wanted to. It's like, hey, like if, if you've identified with Christ and, and you're running from sin and dying to sin, like it's this baptism, it's this newness of life that, that Christ is providing to us that is the touch point, the symbol, the sign of what Jesus has done. And then in verse five, he's like, for if you've been reunited with him, like you'll be resurrected with him. And so Jesus is, is clearly the one who is leading us to this life. And Paul's going, follow Christ to life. Like he is the one who brings life. He is the one who gives life. And so we have died to sin to live Christ's life, verses eight through 11. So this is what baptism means. Now, if we have died with Christ, look at verse eight. We believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So when I go down under the water, it's symbolizing the old life being gone, that I'm no longer a slave to sin. And when I come out of the water, it's as if I'm new. I've been resurrected just as Christ was raised, so I'm raised. You know, there's so many jokes people make about baptism, you know? It's like some people feel like, like you know, the, you know, the worse on the scale of sinner you are, the longer you need to be held down. I can't tell you how many dads have brought me their teenage son when they come to Christ, like, preacher, hold him down a long time, we'll make sure it takes. Like, I don't think holding them down makes it take. I do, when our children are getting baptized, Pastor Jason's back there, he's being real sweet and real kind, like they're always nervous, and I'm always like, hey, hold your breath. You know, I'm like, hold your breath, he holds you down a long time, hold your breath, and then I just walk away, and they're like, what? So if you ever see them go, oh, like, they believe me, literally. 
But we make this, we make this like, like, you know, all right, I gotta go under for a certain amount of time. And then, you know, I come and then, then what do you do with the people that don't go all the way under? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, how does that work? You know, I mean, I don't know if you've been around here a long time, but you know, every now and then somebody's feet will fly up in the air. Like, what do we do with that? Like, are their feet not baptized? Like, how does this work? Like, we can get so distracted in silly things. Like, it's a symbol, man. They're going down and they're coming up. They're dying and they're coming alive again. And this coming alive again is the life of Christ. Like this is what Jesus does. He takes dead men and makes them alive again. And here in verses eight and nine, it's like, it's his resurrection that proves to us that he is able, that Jesus laid his life down and Jesus took his life back up again. Like no one murdered Jesus. He willingly laid his life down and Jesus with God's power got up and overcame the grave. Why? So that he could show us the way to life. So he'd say in John, like I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to father, but by me. That's why baptism doesn't save you, but Jesus saves you. It's not water that gets you into heaven. It's the blood of Christ that covers you to get you into heaven. And so when baptism becomes something other than a symbol of death and life through Christ, we've really messed it up. But the resurrection gives us confidence. It gives us confidence that we're not left with our labels and in our sin but we can live with purpose and meaning today. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17. Listen to what the scripture says. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and, you're, and, you're, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be the most pitied. Like he's... Paul's helping the Corinthian church understand like, like the resurrection matters. Like the resurrection is vitally important because it lifts our gaze off of just our mess and puts our eyes on our future home in heaven. You see, baptism has this, this look to eternity that I am no longer under the curse of Adam, but now I'm under the blood of Jesus. It has this look to eternity that I've been adopted into the family of God, that the name on my back is the name of Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Like that I'm able to live in him and through him and for him. And it says in the passage, it's like he was raised and he cannot die again because death has no mastery over him, which points us to this permanent reality of Jesus and his kingdom. Like this gives me great hope today. It's not like we're gonna wake up one day and Jesus is all of a sudden defeated. It's not gonna like we're gonna wake up one day and heaven has gone bankrupt. Like his dominion over death and over all things was put on display when he died and got up from the grave. And this gives us great hope and confidence to live his life. Think about it, man. Why would you live a life of labels and sin that may taste good for a moment, but curse you for all of eternity? When the scripture is clear that life is like a vapor, it's here one minute and gone the next, but eternity is forever, my friend. Forever. You know, when we come to funeral times, especially with an elderly couple. Man, those are the most difficult for me of, of elderly couples that have been married for so long and one spouse goes before and one will say, I just don't want to live without them. And it's so difficult to understand. But one of the things I encouraged them was, hey, listen, it may seem like a long time, 
But in the spouse that is going to glory, you'll be there in just a minute. Now, what are you talking about just a minute? Man, a, a moment in heaven's like a thousand days elsewhere. And so in just a moment, you will be reunited with them. And you can live forever. If a moment in heaven is a thousand years elsewhere, it's going to be a bit. Like it's forever. And we have an opportunity to live that life today. And this is what baptism symbolizes. The life I live, I live in Christ and I live through Christ. The life that I pursue is a life that brings glory and honor to God because of who he is and all that he's done. So friends, like this is how I inspire people to follow Jesus. I live in Christ and through Christ and for Christ every single day because it is his life in me. And this is what baptism shows the world. Baptism says, man, I want to make a difference with my life because I'm dying to sin and living to Christ that I might be his for all of eternity. Finally today, notice with me that baptism, it symbolizes the transformation of your character. Baptism, it symbolizes the transformation of your character. Some traditions, they really kind of focus on this idea of like washing, like the water washes you. But let me remind you again now, like, this is Tennessee hose water. Okay, like, you know, like it is a symbol. And so don't get in this idea, like I gotta get this special water, you know? I mean, I don't know how many of you have water from the Jordan River in Israel, you know what I'm saying? We, we wanna make it special, but man, like I've been in it, it's pretty dirty. Because it's not the things, that, it's not the water, man. It's, it's the Holy Spirit's work in you. And what baptism symbolizes as you die to sin and live to Christ, it symbolizes that you've been changed, that you have a story to tell and it's not a story that glorifies self and sin. It's a story that glorifies Christ and his righteousness. So look at verses 12 through 14. Like look, look at what he's doing here. He's like, hey, like, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't obey its passions. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God who, through whom you've been brought from death to life. Present your members as instruments of righteousness. I, I think this passage honestly is the kind of remaking and redoing of what he had said in Romans 3. In Romans 3, listen to what Paul was arguing in Romans 3 verses 9 through 18. He says, what then? Are we, are we Jews better off? Not at all. For we have already been cha charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. For as it is written, none is righteous, not one. No one understands and no one seeks for God. They all have turned aside and together they've become worthless. Not one does good, not even one. Then he says, their throat is an open grave and they use their tongues to deceive. There's venom in their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood and their paths are ruin and misery. Like the way of peace they've not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Like this was Paul's charge of the people that he was seeing that considered themselves religious people. 
And he's saying now in, in Romans 6, like, don't present your members like that. Like, don't use your body for things like that. Like, don't look upon things you're gonna lust upon. Don't let your feet take you places that you're gonna fall into temptation. Don't use your hands for unrighteousness. Like, he's kind of going through this idea. He uses the same metaphors in 1 Corinthians when you talk about the church being the body of Christ. Like, he's saying, in what you have, don't give it to unrighteousness. Be transformed and changed to use them for righteousness. We know people day in and day out who spend their life glorifying unrighteousness. We see it on social media. We see it on the internet. Like we see it all through our lives where people are like, like I just want it for me now and I'm gonna do whatever I can do to glorify self and live however I want to live and cast off all restraint. And if it feels good, do it. And I'm gonna follow my heart. Like, like all of these things lead to unrighteousness. But what we see in Christ going like, like be transformed from that and now live in a different way. The life of Christ in you transforms your character so that you then operate based on how can I best glorify God with my life? And so when I come public for baptism, I'm declaring I've died to self. I've died to sin. I'm alive in Christ and I want to live my life for the glory of God. Listen to me. Your public baptism could be one of the greatest sources for accountability for you to stick with the stuff. And far too many of us, we, we're like, man, I don't, really, I don't really need, I don't know if I need to do that. Like, I don't, like brothers and sisters, that is unrighteous pride in your life, keeping you from taking this first step of obedience. Like verse 14, like sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law, under grace. Like this is your story as a follower of Christ. And it's time for you to tell the world that you are no longer living for yourself, but you're living unto the Lord. Thanks for joining us this week on the Concord Online Podcast. If you have any questions surrounding today's sermon or simply want to learn more, you can do so at concordonline.org. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with each weekly release.